And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, March the 15th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On March 15, 44 B.C., Roman dictator Julius Caesar was assassinated by a group of nobles that included Brutus and Cassius. Interesting story about this. I won't go into it in detail, but he was warned that they were going to stab him to death or they were going to try to kill him if he went into the Senate that particular day. A friend, an ally of Julius Caesar, handed him a note, they say, and uh, on the note he said, be careful, there's a plot to kill you in the Senate. It is said that uh, Caesar took the Julius Caesar took the note, stuck it in his coat pocket, intending to read it later. Walked in to the Senate, and of course, the rest is history. I guess, <laughs> I guess we should pay attention when our friends want to tell us something. Today, in 1493, Christopher Columbus arrived back in Spain two months after concluding his first voyage to the Western Hemisphere. Today, in 1820, Maine became the 23rd state. Today, in 1917, this, of course, was the Bolshevik Revolution years. Today, in 1917, Tsar uh, Nicholas II abdicated in favor of his brother, Grand Duke Mikhail uh, Androvich. He declined the crown, and that ended the imperial rule of Russia. Nobody wanted to be in charge at that moment. Today in 1965, have you ever been in such a situation? I have been, I'll tell you. As a pastor, sometimes you you kind of wish you weren't in charge. Not, not often, but occasionally. But you deal with it, whatever it is. Today in 1965, President Lyndon B. Johnson addressing the joint session of Congress, he called for new legislation to guarantee every American's right to vote. The result of that was the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Those are a few of the things that happened today in history. We always take a look back, and then we look at today and what's happening around us. Requests for the release of the so-called that QAnon shaman. I mean, they've just the, the word shaman. I have didn't see that attached to him in the past, but it has become attached to him now. He's the guy that wears that helmet thing with the horn sticking out of it, and he has body paint on and all of that. He's been characterized. I talked about him the other day, and I won't go through that through that again. But he's been characterized as a, just a, almost a demon. I, I don't know him. I've never met him, and I probably never will. But boy, the way the press cast that guy, and, and he kind of looked like what they were describing. I mean, you see him walking around, he looked kind of scary. Uh, As it turned out, the footage that Tucker Carlson released on this January 6th event uh, shows this QAnon shaman guy that they they call, you know what I'm talking about, he looks like a Viking or something, caveman or whatever. But anyway, boy, that footage shows him walking around talking to the to the um, the Capitol Guard and the, the police officers and so on in there. And, I mean, nobody was that was with him was afraid of him. They were showing him around, even opening doors in, into places. In fact, one time they tried to open a door for him to go into somewhere in the Capitol, and it was locked. And so they directed him across the hallway to another door and opened it, and they went in there. And so, I mean, it was a very different experience. I'm not saying there wasn't violence there. There was. But the vast majority of those people were running around in there looking like 
tourists. I mean, they were going, wow, this is really cool. And this guy was kind of among them. He was carrying a U.S. flag. He wasn't harming anyone. The police inside the building, the Capitol, they weren't afraid of him. I mean, they were talking to him. And that put a picture in front of America that was very, very different. Well, as it turns out, this Jacob Chansley, that's his name, he had made... (laughs) He made a call the day after, apparently. I mean, I haven't verified this. As I said, I don't know him, and I don't know his friends. As far as I know, I don't know his friends. But on on January 7th, the day after this uh, episode at the uh, Capitol, he, uh, he apparently... The, the the media was continuing to cover this thing wall to wall. I mean, they were just, you know, it was it was the civil war on steroids as far as they were concerned. But they kept portraying him as and the whole event as a an attempted coup and that he was kind of the leader. And and they cast him, the press did, as kind of like, see, these are those people that elected Donald Trump. And so with that backdrop. Then we saw the other part of it, and then we find out apparently, and again, I haven't looked, I don't have many sources on this, but apparently he called the the police, the Capitol Police, the day after on January 7th, and he identified himself. He said, my name is is Chansley, and, and told them how to contact him if they needed to have contact with him. That was never reported in the press. Not only does the press skew what we read and hear, but they remove things that they don't want us to see and hear. And apparently that's one of them. On Tuesday, yesterday, the New York Post reported that among the 12 members of the Silicon Valley Bank, the board of directors, they were the guys that are supposed to be guiding this bank away from catastrophic errors the people sitting on that board are far left activists one of them is a hillary clinton mega donor gave her millions of dollars for political and whatever else she used it for after he found out that donald trump this guy on the board of this bank that failed after he found out that donald trump had won the white house uh he went to this shinto shrine and and fasted and prayed at this shrine uh, I don't know what he was praying for. I don't know if they, he wanted Donald Trump to like dissolve and disappear or or what. But anyway, he put himself put himself out there and, and went away and fasted and prayed at this Shinto uh, shrine. And uh, a former President Barack Obama political appointee and a prolific contributor to Democrats who owns a Napa Valley vineyard 15 minutes from the home of former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is on the board. Um, it's just, man, I, I mean, you look at this and what you don't know, because the president just doesn't tell us. According to the report, Democrat alignment was part of the bank's stated overall strategy. In other words, if you're a conservative or a Republican or whatever, stay away. We don't want your money. The whole thing was aligned toward Democrat alignment, and that's what was represented on the board of directors of the bank that uh, locked up the other day. Boy, I'll tell you, San Francisco, if, if you think you've heard it all, San Francisco, 
they had their meeting just the other day, this week. They're meeting about how to pay reparations for slavery. And um, let me tell you just a, a bit about what happened in that meeting and what came out of it. This is from Associated Press. Payments of $5 million to every eligible black adult, the elimination of personal debt and tax burdens, guaranteed annual incomes of at least $97,000 per year for 250 years, and homes in San Francisco for $1 per family. Those were some of the suggestions formally made at this meeting this week in San Francisco on to how the, the white people who perpetrated slavery on the blacks should pay. These are just some of the re- recommendations made by this city-appointed reparations committee. They've been tasked with the question, quote, what would it take to atone for the centuries of U.S. slavery and generations of systemic racism that continue to keep black Americans on the bottom rungs of health, education, and economic prosperity and overrepresented in, uh, over in prisons and homeless populations. This was some of, the, some of the ideas that came forth and they're on the agenda, on the record. One analyst in San Francisco said, boy, we better be careful with this. He said that each non-black family, meaning not white, not just white, but white, Asian, brown, uh, Hispanic, and so on, each non-black family in the city would have to pay at least $600,000 per family to do the things that are now becoming a part of what it would take to atone for the centuries of U.S. slavery. Some supervisors are now saying in San Francisco, Associated Press says, this was hours after this meeting, some supervisors are now saying that San Francisco can't afford any major reparation payments right now. Given, I'm not laughing. I'm trying not to laugh. I'm not laughing at the slavery issue, for those of you who would jump to that conclusion. I'm laughing about San Francisco trying to act like they want to do something when they really, in fact, know they can't. So here they're, they're saying, just hours after this meeting, San Francisco can't afford any major reparation payments right now, given the city's deep deficit and a tech industry downturn. But, they said, we still want to continue to discuss the proposals and consider future solutions. I don't want to sound cynical because I'm not. But I have heard that my entire life because I've paid attention to what was happening in the culture as a youth pastor, a, a real pastor, a senior pastor, and so on. A lot In my whole life of ministry, whatever I was doing, I was really paying attention to what was happening in the culture because the culture kind of reflects what people are thinking and doing and what's in their hearts. And I've always felt that way. And so I've, but I've never seen, I've never seen virtue signaling at the height that it is today it's phony they want to go out and talk about what oh what we should do and we should do this and we should do that and oh let's give every person a a a house for a dollar in san francisco one of the highest you know real estate wise one of the highest priced places on in the in the nation 
So uh, you see all these words, and, and they do this, and they're very deceptive. It's very deceptive. You think, oh, yeah, we got to get on board. This would make it all right. It doesn't matter how many houses you buy for a dollar. And I'm not talking about blacks. I'm talking about human, just humanity. It doesn't matter what you do. There is no atonement for sin except through Jesus Christ. That is the only way that sin can be canceled. And they talk about, you know, slavery. Horrible. Should never have happened. But one, America is not the only place that accommodated slavery. It was all over the world. The Indians had slaves when the pilgrims landed at Plymouth. Africa has a huge slavery problem. They did then, and they do now. I've spent time there, quite a bit of time, as a matter of fact, in missionary work and evangelism, Christian evangelism. They have a huge problem there with slavery. If you don't believe me, look at the cobalt mines and other mines that are, are as we speak, are functioning by slaves. So we got to keep the slavery thing in. I'm not diminishing it. It was horrible. Thank God for Abraham Lincoln and what was done in his time and by his hand and others. But man, it has now become a political football that people are tossing back and forth. So, well, I'm, I'm, I'm virtuous. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to atone for centuries of U.S. slavery and generations by giving everybody that's black $5 million to every eligible black. We're going to eliminate all your personal debt. We're going to take away your tax burdens. We're going to give you $97,000 per year for 250 years. How can they guarantee that? They can't do that. The blacks on the committee that that's trying to find the solution for what it would take to atone for the sin, they know they can't do that. They know the white guys won't give them that much money for that long. Nobody can make that kind of a commitment and keep it. It's amazing how we've gotten ourselves to this point. And the reason we have, for the number of reasons, the bottom line is sin. But we've gotten ourselves to this point because of our embrace of progressivism. There are no fixed values in progressivism. As long as God gives me breath and somebody will listen, I'll keep saying that because that is the issue in America today. That's There's a kind of a consensus that we have got to be fluid. We've got to be changing and evolving and becoming something other than what we are at the moment. Barack Obama was the apostle of that. He did more harm to this nation probably than any other president, even more than Joe Biden, because he was smarter. But he took America way down that path, and it's become the thing. And if you're conservative, you're well, you're holding on to the past. Oh, yeah, there's that, there's that Gary Randall out there talking about trying to go, the, go back to the old days and the, the past. I mean, this has been endemic with hit all through history with the human race. Jeremiah the prophet, he said to the people, go back. God says, go back to the old paths, to the old ways. Not so you won't make progress, but so that you will make progress. 
We only progress on the foundations of Judeo-Christianity. I mean, disagree with me if you want to, but look at history. No other nation has thrived and prospered and been blessed and free and so like America. And we're the only nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And don't believe your professor or whomever that tells you, oh, that's not true. It is true. There's so much history, you can't read it all in a lifetime that tells you that these guys, all of them weren't pastors or evangelists or street preachers, but all of them recognized the power of truth. And all of them knew that biblical truth was the only foundation upon which they could build this nation. And many of them said that in the documents that we have in this nation, in our library, in D.C. and elsewhere. So that's the problem today. And then these people seize this, the left, and they, they virtue signal. I think some of the people... <laughs> on this African-American Reparations Advisory Board in San Francisco, I think some of these people are on to them. The um, Reparations Committee members uh, are considering the results to be an accurate estimate of what it would take to to begin to, to begin, these are their words, to repair the enduring damage of slavery and discrimination. These suggestions that I read a few moments ago would would... That's what it would take to atone for America's sin. And these people bristled at the idea that they should figure out how to pay for it. This Eric McDonald, who's on the, he's the chair of the San Francisco African American Reparations Advisory Board or committee. He said, we are the harmed. If the judge ruled in our favor, the judge would not turn to us and say, help them figure out how to make this work. But that's exactly what San Francisco did. They said, yeah, we want to give you all these billions of dollars and make 250-year guarantees and so on, but we don't know how to come up with the money. That is the profile of progressivism. Virtue signaling with no basis, with no ability to even do what they say. Obama ran up and down this country from coast to coast, from Canada to Mexico, telling the people, We've got to make remake America. we got to remake America. We're remaking America. He was destroying America. He was destroying the foundations of America, and so is Joe Biden, because of their belief system or lack thereof. Thank you so much for supporting this ministry. I was reading this morning in Acts. I read the Bible every morning. I hope you do, too. I was reading in Acts, and I came across a, a scripture that just prompted my attention. Let me share it with you. In Acts chapter chapter 10, interesting little caveat here. There was a man, a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, about nine o'clock in the morning, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked, looked at him, he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto, them, unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. 
When I read that this morning, I thought of all of you who support this ministry so regularly, and some of you so strongly, but all of you. So, so in a, such a committed way. Your notes reflect that. And I can't tell you what that means to me, but I just thought of you, your, your alms and your prayers. And so many of you say, we're praying for you. And I understand what we're doing on this program is not typical on Christian radio stations. I, I understand that. As, as most of you know, I, I've been in the ministry, a pastor, youth pastor, and so on, all of my adult life. I understand. But I feel that God has called me to do this, and you recognize that you should be a part of it. And that is our work, God's work, all of us. It is a memorial to God. I mean, that's what we do. That isn't salvation. That isn't how we become saved. But it's it's a memorial to God and to the kingdom of God when we give ourselves what we have and what we can do. There's just a, a list of things that you would never want to hear and I wouldn't want to tell you that I can't do. I just don't do well at all. But I can talk. And you're giving me that opportunity to share what I believe to be God's message for today in our culture. And I want to thank you for that. It just struck me, and I, I just didn't visually see you, but I, in my heart I saw you, and I said, God bless every one of them that supports this ministry. And I mean that sincerely. Thank you so much. If you've been thinking about supporting this ministry, let me nudge you a little bit. We need your help. We need you to join us. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Well, let me leave you with this today, a little story out of Vermont. A a Vermont Christian school that forfeited a game in the girls' state basketball playoffs. It's kind of a March madness versus Christian beliefs and common sense that's happening in Vermont. That's Bernie Sanders' country, of course. The Vermont Principals Association, the VPA, ruled that this mid-Vermont Christian school had violated policies and is ineligible to participate in future tournaments at its sanctions. This move applied to all sports for this school. It was very heavy-handed. The statement says the VPA, the governing body, also or again reiterates its ongoing support of transgender student-athletes as not only a part of building an inclusive community for each student to grow and thrive, but also as a clear expectation by Vermont state laws in the Agency of Education Best Practices. Officials said the White River Junction Bay School, that's a Christian school, failed to meet the association's policies on race, gender, and disability awareness. Mid-Vermont Christian School is disappointed with the decision, they said, in, in a statement they put out. Head of the school, Vicki Fogg, she said, told Fox Digital on Tuesday yesterday, she said, we intend to appeal the decision. Canceling our membership is not a solution. It does nothing to deal with the very real issue of safety and fairness facing women's sports in our beloved state. We urge the VPA to reconsider its policies and balance the rights of every athlete in the state. But, oh, no, they don't do that. The local Valley News, that's a local kind of a newspaper online. I'm not sure if it's a physical print, but it's online. It may may be a printed as well. But the Valley News said this Christian school, this was their headline, Christian school ousted from sports over transgender discrimination. 
It was none of the above. They were ousted, but they weren't discriminating. They were asking not to be discriminated against. Another example of this relentless attack on Christian beliefs and common sense, big and little media, they marched to this same progressive drumbeat. We withdrew from the tournament, they said, because we believe playing against an opponent with a biological male jeopardizes the fairness of the game and the safety of our players, they said. Of course, they don't advocate their Christian biblical school and uh, high school, and they don't advocate transgenderism, but they were making the point that that boys that the allowing biological males to participate in women's sports sets a bad precedent for the future of women's sports in general. Well, it does. Everybody knows that. That's common sense. This incident is not unique. It's happening all across the country. Girls are being punished for being girls. Boys who are suffering from gender dysphoria and need help are being elevated in their personal difficulties and are giving being given free reign to dominate in women's sports. It's happening again and again and again. You even have some of these lesbians coming out and say, wait a minute, this isn't fair. I mean, even the people that advocate this whole movement are saying, well, this is too far. We, we, we're taking it too far. They shouldn't be able to go in, you know, the girls' dressing rooms and locker rooms and, and then, you know, compete against girls because boys and girls are different. But they're the ones that are advocating that they're not different. Boys and girls are different. That was once a consensus in the culture. Everybody knew that. Educated and non-educated. Everybody knew boys and girls. I mean, they didn't even have these kinds of conversations in my lifetime. The Vermont Agency of Education says transgender and gender non-conforming students are to be provided the same opportunities to participate in physical education as are all other students. But when they impose that upon all other students, the all other students don't have equal rights, whether it's Vermont or Washington State or wherever. In October of 2022, a middle school girls soccer coach from Vermont's Randolph Union High School, this is a different school, was suspended after he reportedly misgendered a transgender student. The coach's daughter had earlier expressed discomfort with having the individual share the girls' locker room. And it goes on and on in Vermont, but it isn't just in Vermont. The Christian school said we wanted to be thoughtful and we wanted to make sure all of our stakeholders had an opportunity to provide comment. The VPA assistant director, this Lauren Thomas, he told the Valley News, he said, we're being fair about this. We're being very fair, but they're not. A local group that was pushing back on the decision called VT Vermont Digger, I I don't know anything about them, but I, I read their piece. They said that the executive board reached a unanimous 15-0 to decision and could not remember another incident of the school being ousted for it from the organization. Well, no, because they've just recently imposed this upon the kids. I think it was James Russell Lowell who asked the French historian Franz Gazot, how long will the American Republic endure? He wisely replied, as long as the ideas of the men who founded it continue dominant. I'll see you tomorrow.